0: In episode 57 of Mobycast, we look ahead towards DockerCon 2019, discuss what to expect and throw down a few predictions. Welcome to Mobycast, a weekly conversation about cloud native development, AWS and building distributed systems.
1: Let's jump right in. Welcome Chris, it's another episode of Mobycast. Hey John, good to be back. Yeah, good to have you. So, it's just you and I today. Rich is Spending some family time and we are out of practice because you were on vacation. I was in a whole different time zone. <laughs> a whole different time zone. Did you go to Montana?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would be a different time zone and kinda wish it was only one time zone away, or at least right now, right? My body's having it's massively confused. My my internal clock. So I was in Italy. Nine hours difference between Seattle time and then ended up having a unexpected multi-day layover in Chicago. So my body doesn't know when to when to go to sleep, when to wake up, when to eat. Everything's kind of out of whack. It was you probably doesn't
1: need to eat, right? You, you did
2: plenty of that in Italy. <laughs> yes, I did. I've, I definitely carbo-loaded <laughs> for sure. But cool. I, I, I worked it off by we walked. And so according to my Apple Watch, I think it was about 80 miles total and spread over like seven days. Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. No, no trips to Italy here. We just did Kelsey's stuff and, and yeah, tried to hold down the fort while you were away. Not an easy task, but here we are back. And today we're going to talk about DockerCon. It's coming up in two weeks. Well, by the time you're listening, dear your listener, it'll be one week. So it's coming up in a week and you'll be there. And this is your third one, Chris.
2: This will be my fourth, actually.
1: Fourth DockerCon. Yeah. Nice.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's, um, I hadn't gone to conferences for quite some time. And then really DockerCon was the one that I kind of got back into it with. And that was back in 2016 in the Seattle version. So it was one of those things that was super easy for me to go and go to. There was no travel. I also, that's... Coincidentally, when I first started using Docker, so it was just awesome timing. So I started using Docker in like January 2016, and then the conference I think was in—I can't remember if it was April or—I think it was June actually. So it was just—it was just perfect timing. That edition was was just—it was. Super, I walked away from that thing and wow, "This is a great conference. This was really good."
1: Very cool. So yeah, and it's changed over the years. But let, let's talk about what's coming up, and then maybe later in the conversation we can talk about how it's changed over the years. So what, what are you expecting this year? What's what's going to happen?
2: Yeah, th- this year is going to be interesting, and just interesting in that I don't expect anything too terribly dramatic. So last year was a big kind of shift in culture and, and content. We've talked about that on the on the previous episode of MoviCast when we recap the 2018 version. But right. you know, big changes happened in 2018 with Docker with the departure of both Ben, the 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 previous CEO as well as Solomon, the CTO. So kind of like a one-two punch there, changing of the guard and brought in new CEOs, some some other new management. And it was really kind of, you know, previously Docker was all about, I think, you know, innovation and just really just lots of different directions and technology and they absolutely made some missteps there and kind of like trying to be an overambitious, but at least there was there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot, a lot going on, a lot of innovation. Last year was made very, very clear that like, okay, new management bring coming in, Steve Singh. The CEO, it's all about Docker as a business and and really finding what that business model is. And so a, a really kind of a dramatic reduction in the innovation, the number of product announcements that they had, much, much less. And just really loud and clear that focus on like how, you know, what's the business model making money, you know, turning, you know, really having this thing grow up and and become understanding that it is it is a business, right? It's not, it's not a technology innovation lab you know if you will it's like it has to make money so i i really expect this year to be more of the same right so i i don't expect a lot of, of new product announcements i i expect them to you know continue to focus on the enterprise edition of docker focus on hybrid environments Focus on legacy apps and monoliths and how do you easily, you know, give that support to the to the enterprise company so they can containerize their their existing applications without rewrites and continue the big bear hug around Kubernetes. Right,
1: right. Yeah. Yeah, Wouldn't you expect it's kind of like lots of education, lots of best practices and lots of. Hey look at this is you know, here's a kind of unique way to use this existing thing to do something that you might not have thought of before and not so much announcement, you know, not none of those types of sessions. There may be very few of them.
2: yeah, ab- absolutely. So I, I definitely expect a lot of lather rinse repeat mm-hmm. um, and just more practical. like how do you use the stuff? I mean, and to some extent, like I mean, what else are you going to do, you know, with Docker? Like it's very robust, stable, it's mature. It's kind of has everything you need for, you know, containerization. So so in that respect, there's not a tremendous amount of new tooling or or product around it, unless it's kind of driven more from a
1: from a business model standpoint. So sure, sure. Yeah. So we see I have in front of me here that DockerCon has grown over the years: 500 in 2014, 4,000 people, 5,500. Last year, six thousand. You know, more people are are using Docker. It's still growing. So, do you expect DockerCon to actually be bigger, or do you think it it might shrink a little bit this year? So,
2: for sure, when they when they release numbers, it's not going to shrink, right? <laughs> Regardless of what the what the, what actually whatever the real numbers are, right? They're not going to. So, last year it was, I think, about six thousand. and The previous year it was fifty five hundred. Right. Right. So, not a huge jump. And so, this year, I would expect that they'll probably say something like, "There's seven thousand attendees." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of doubt
1: that will be the case. It's right. at the
2: same venue. It's a it's in San Francisco at Moscone, and right. Funny, be-
1: fun ways of counting attendees might be like, oh, well, if you're a gold sponsor, then everybody, you know, everybody in this organization of your company is an attendee. Yeah, F- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Amazon's here, so
2: two hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, so you know they they're definitely not nearly as big as as some of the other conferences around mm-hmm. but again it's it's a different flavor you have someone like AWS and and its conference with reinvent it's really focused it's it's kind of a commercial conference yep. right versus dockercon especially over the the last four years has transitioned more to like this is this has more of the feel of like open source and community and whatnot so I think that kind of limits the attendees, if you will. It, kind of, it feels a lot like some of the
1: O'Reilly conferences, like OSCON. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So, what's gonna what's the kind of layout of the conference? What what do you expect there? How long is it? That kind of thing. It's it,
2: yeah, it's pretty pretty compressed, especially compared to to something like ReInvent.
1: So, it's really two days
2: long. So, it's officially I think it's four days, but the the first day is kind of like a is like a, a pre day where there's paid workshops that you can attend the fourth day is a recap of popular breakout sessions and so it's really the core the two middle days there the tuesday and wednesday are the the core days of the conference so each day has a starts off with a keynote session and then it's followed by the breakout sessions so those basically two days of full content and then some additional stuff on on the tail ends at the beginning and and, in the end about 100 breakout sessions which is <laughs> I mean, it, it's in a way, a luxury, it's kind of right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of refreshing, right? You can actually look through the catalog, register, like, and it takes you ten minutes versus reinvent. I think I spent probably like five to ten hours going through that, trying to line up my 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 agenda for it, Yeah, with like there was two thousand like- plus. With like three weeks of FOMO, yeah, nonstop, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so definitely much, much
1: smaller, more manageable, and more compressed. Right on. So, I'm gonna actually skip a little part of the outline, and and since we were just talking about sessions, maybe you can talk about the tracks. And, and this has remained pretty consistent, too, across across the various Docker cons. So,
2: you know, it's kind of a, a mix of kind of like high-level stuff, some low-level stuff, and then kind of everything in between. So some of the ones, some of the, the kind of the main tracks are they have a Docker Tech Talks. And so these are sessions that go deep on the the products and technology that make up the Docker platform. So pretty, pretty hands on, pretty pragmatic information. There's a Docker for Developers track, which is really focused on you know the developers that are using Docker on their their machines on their laptops, right? Like, oh, okay. how, how oh. do they really get the most? So they're using you know the tools like Docker Compose and Docker for Mac or Docker for Windows and whatnot. Then they have a track Docker for IT infrastructure and ops. So that's your DevOps type stuff, right? Like how do you actually use Docker in production? How do you deploy things? How do you run them? How do you maintain them? How do you monitor them? Those kinds of things. They have a customer case studies track. So obviously this is customers that are using Docker and they they get up there and talk about how they're using it, the benefits they get, kind of inspire other folks to 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 do the same. They have a black belt session uh, track. And so this is like, just goes really, usually really, really deep into the guts, the internals of the Docker platform and and related things. I've spent a lot of the, the previous Docker cons in black belt sessions. And I can definitely attest they, they they usually go like really really deep. And I, the other thing to point out too, DockerCon their sessions are forty minutes long versus like Reinvent 60, 60 minutes long. Yeah, and that twenty minutes makes a big difference. So especially with with these track like these black belt sessions. 40 minutes going really, really deep, like pulling apart like how networking works inside Docker or how does, you know, storage work and device all the drivers and whatnot to get all that within 40 minutes. And and they usually go through like their slide decks are like 100, 100 slides long. And so you just feel
1: like you're just... <laughs> Like fire hose so, right? so they're not actually trying to give you a little less content so that it's more manageable they're just trying to shove it all into 40 minutes it's absolutely what it
2: feels like right it okay. feels like it's 60 minutes or even more of content in a 40 minute session so wow. so you have to kind of like be on your toes and really kind of pay attention otherwise you're gonna you're gonna miss it a few other tracks they have are they have an ecosystem track which is you know just the whole community that makes up docker and and so all the the vendors and other open source projects and partners and whatnot, which again is kind of interesting. I mean, you don't really see that. I mean, you see a little bit of that at something like a reInvent, but not nearly as much devoted to as, as you'll see it's something like DockerCon. And then they have a uh, transform track, which is kind of a bit more of a a wild card, kind of open-ended one where it's just like, you know, how has this enabled various, you know, transformations or changed like culture and
0: processes and things like that. Right, right. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us, so give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in.
1: You know, one of the tracks there kind of caught my ear because it reminded me of a tweet I saw from Claire Liguri yesterday. She was asking people that develop with Docker how they, how they interact with Docker on their machines while they're developing. And it was a poll. It was like, do you use Docker CLI? Do you use Docker compose? Do you use some sort of IDE type of? connectivity, you know, like a button to run run your container or other. And then, uh, you know, it was like 75% were Docker CLI, 20% was, or even more, was Docker Compose. And then very few people were, were on the other or the IDE capability. And she kind of shot back like... Huh, kind of funny. I really enjoy using the, you know, I think she might be using VS Code or something, or or full on Visual Studio. I enjoy using that because the, it just automatically will attach my debugger to the container, to the pro, you know, to the process running inside the container, and that way I don't have to do that manually, and then I can have a debugger going. And I was just—it just kind of took me down this trip down memory lane of like times in my career where I've had a debugger available, then kind of gone to a technology where a debugger is not the way you code, and then going back with mobile development and Objective C, and it's like, oh, the, the debugger is back! What a luxury! And then you know, often no JS, oh, we're we're not doing debuggers right now anymore. And so, kind of the whole thing of a debugger is that they're awesome, they're incredible, they're so cool when you have access to them, but they're they're also you know painful to set up in certain situations. And Docker is of those situations. And so, yeah, I'd be curious for you to go snoop around the, that track and just see how mature that stuff is and whether it might make sense for for our team to start doing that. So we and we I think we've kind of touched
2: on this in previous episodes a bit, just the kind of like the docker learning curve, and it kind of changes you just have to kind of change the way you work a bit, but I mean, so debugging inside docker, I mean the tools have been there now for years, so mm-hmm. v s code I think in 2017 they kind of show it off just being able to to debug running containers and hot reloading and all that kind of stuff and so you can you can make all that work. it does take a little bit more just if you have to look into it and set it up and Mm-hmm. you know, just make it happen. And, you know, it's whether or not it's something that you that you really need. Like you said, we've kind of, to some extent, got away from using your IDEs with integrated debugging and, you know, yep. stepping through code. I know me personally, like the first like 20 years of my career, like I debugger was like, I, I use Visual Studio and using a debugger was integral to like what I was doing. Like I, I would almost... Almost always I would be just stepping through code as a way of just doing just unit testing or some integration testing, right? Just going through and, and making sure it was doing exactly what I, what I, what I expected it to be doing. And then when I switched over to Node in 2012, there really, like at that point, there really was no good debugger at all for Node. So it was like, all right, I went from this really nice integrated you know IDE with integrated debugger and profiler and everything else and now I have a text editor,
1: right? You know, not to. I I don't want to go too far down this, but but like debuggers are more technologically advanced. Like you're, the ability to really see what's happening in code is is an advancement in technology that that happened because people wanted to see that, and so going away from debuggers is like is a trade off. It's like well, this I want these capabilities of these of this new language, and I want and I want to be able to in this new way of doing things, and I'm willing to give up my debugger for it. But if you can get the debugger back and sort of have the best of both worlds. And I know we've talked about the separation of like, you know, having your container sort of not ever be allowed to have like a only works on my machine type setup. But if your IDE is really good at helping you manage that, like if your IDE helps you set up those walls and lets you debug fully and then also lets you be confident that when you're releasing it, it's you know, you've taken away all the all those like little little things that you don't want to release into production, such as, for example, a shared file system, then that could be a great thing. And I guess like my argument. Here is really, it comes down to things like, there have been times in my career where I've used a debugger and I've noticed, oh my God, I didn't realize that was happening. And I didn't realize it because the code was working, everything seemed happy, no problems, no unit tests saying that there was something wrong. But the debugger was like, oh my God, why is that file handle still around? I wouldn't have known that without this debugger or without a production outage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's real value in debuggers. Yeah, absolutely. And and so
2: i you know maybe the, the net net is it's like the tools are out there um yeah. whether you're doing you know doing docker development or not there's quite a bit of a tooling community and you know you can do the debugging inside the container you just need to do a little you know just set it up right and and, and learn how to do it which and it doesn't take that much time so mm-hmm. so if you like debuggers and you really want that capability you can have it with with docker just as a side, I think what happens with most people is that when they're to debug, they just debug it running outside of Docker, right? Which is a kind of a big no-no.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that, that's kind of why I wanted you to poke around there because I think that in terms of the... We, another thing we talk a lot about in, in MobyCast is like the care and feeding of your own tech career. And I, th- I think a lot of times developers kind of spend a lot of time like learning the new technologies, the new languages, and the new ops stuff. And then, you know, before you know it, you haven't spent any time kind of updating your process, updating your development process, like learning new, you know, hotkeys in, a, in an IDE or like trying out a new, more powerful development practice, right? Like that stuff, You tend it's like, oh, I got my way. I like it. I'm just going to keep doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But updating that part of your skill set can be very valuable. Indeed. Yep. Cool. All right. So I think we've spent quite a bit of time here, but oh my goodness. Yeah. We just took a nice long detour. Where <laughs> should we go next? Chris? <laughs> help, help me help us. Let's get this back. Sure. So, I mean, I, I think, you
2: know, we've, in a, I mean, definitely kind of mission accomplished in that, like, this is all about a preview show of DockerCon 2019. We've talked about a bit of like you know some of the history kind of what we kind of expect to this this new one some of the what the contents like the the layout this is again different than than the bigger conference like reinvent so in reinvent like it definitely makes sense to talk about like a lot of practical tips and you need to pace yourself and you need to you know wear comfortable shoes and hydrate and sleep and all that kind of stuff The good news here with DockerCon, it's just much more relaxed. It's not nearly as intense. It is a great conference with a lot of good technical content and and pragmatic content. Lots of passionate people there that that are really into it. And you can totally geek out. So from that standpoint, it's just a lot more manageable, and in some ways, maybe even a bit more more enjoyable.
1: I want to ask you a really important question because this could this could play into some future episodes of Mobicast because we like to go through some talks. you've already started to look at your agenda, right? Are there any particular speakers that you're excited to hear? You know,
2: off off the top of my head, not really. Other than, you know, there is there's some talks from from folks at Netflix and. There's one on uh, just around container security, so mm-hmm. theoretic and, and practical implementations of that at Netflix. So that's that's kind of interesting. Um, Do you happen to have in front of you who who's giving that talk? That is. Michael Wardrop. Oh, cool. So, and there's a there's a few other there's one specifically around Node, Node.js, and that's done by Brett Fisher, who's kind of one of the Docker captains and his longtime member of the Docker community, and he's spoken before. There's the Dockerfile best practices. One again, although this year it's done by a couple different folks. So th- there, there are a lot of the um, the same speakers as before. I wouldn't be surprised if if Abby Fuller's here again. But I'm mostly I'm going just to kind of like I'm I'm interested to see okay what's what's new. What are some of the kind of like the pragmatic little tidbits that are going to make life a little bit easier, and also just kind of get the overall. Feel and flavor of like what's happening in the community and where it's going. So we, we you know, we've talked about this in the past about mm-hmm. what's the future look like for Docker. You know, is it going to stay independent or is it going to get acquired? Are they going to figure out the business model? And then also this whole like just Kubernetes. So like it, last year was such a huge dramatic switch for them. And you know previously they did kind of support Kubernetes or what, but they were really focused on Swarm. And last year it was just Kubernetes was everywhere. This year, there, there weren't as many sessions that are around Kubernetes. However, if you go to the um, DockerCon website, the primary title, subtitle for it is, it's the DockerCon is the number one container industry conference for all things Kubernetes, microservices, <laughs> and DevOps. Wow. It doesn't even mention Docker. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, so, you know, and you know, they have uh, like, you know, they have like eight or nine paid workshops and, and at least two of those are on Kubernetes. So, you know, Kubernetes, They've definitely doubled down on Kubernetes. It'll be inter- interesting to see just where they go from from
1: there. And it will be interesting because you know Kubernetes has been getting a little bit of heat lately. I've seen sentiment turn against it pretty hard on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And there, just yesterday, I think, it, or maybe it was two days ago, Tinder released a tech blog, basically going through the you know millions of dollars and weeks and and months that they spent moving over to Kubernetes and how difficult that was for them and Kelsey Hightower, one of the Google Cloud people, said a while back that, you know, a great use case for Kubernetes is if you have developers releasing applications that are kind of different and disparate into one area, kind of like if you're making your own platform as a service, look at Kubernetes. If you're not, don't. Mm -hmm. So that... (laughs) are not, you know, making a platform as a service may be some things that some enterprises do. Maybe a telecom company does that. Maybe, you know, cable companies or, street you know, big, big companies, big enterprises do that for sure. And they maybe do it on-prem and Kubernetes is right for them. But for everybody else, it's it's not. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Docker, which we expect is really still trying to embrace the enterprise and trying to figure out how to monetize the enterprise, it would make sense for them to still be all about Kubernetes where, where you know, and where, where it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, in a way,
2: I mean, so Kubernetes is kind of has some of the same problems now, like some that AWS has. So we've talked about with AWS, like the rapid pace of innovation, mm-hmm. right? A thousand releases a year, you know, mm-hmm. new services all the time. And it's just like, it's really hard to keep up. Mm-hmm. In a way, Kubernetes is kind of has the same, the same issue, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is a huge beast. It's being added to constantly and it's actually really hard to comprehend all of it, right? And to be be well versed in in the entire platform, or even even in you know core core pieces of it, right. and so that's a big limiting factor in adoption by you know these folks that don't have a hundred plus person IT teams, engineering right. teams. Exactly. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Docker does something there to, to make it much more you know palatable and easy to just to work with, right? Without having to go spend months and months and months figuring
1: out how how to get Kubernetes to work. And to run it reliably in production. Yeah, that would be interesting. That could be our prediction. Maybe we could leave everybody with that 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 if Docker is going to sort of resurrect itself, Docker is going to re- resurrect itself as like a place to be. That announcing some sort of onboarding ramp to Kubernetes that's realistic for smaller organizations would be potentially the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, great talking to you. I hope you have a good time at the conference. And then when we get back, we're going to have so much to talk about. You bet. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye.
0: Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources is available at mobicast.fm forward slash five seven. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you. And we'll see you again next week.